Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Diversity with Diana podcast, the podcast that discusses good governance, tech innovation, and inclusive diversity. We've had a lovely set of guests coming to join us in this season two, where we're having more and more conversations with people in the humanitarian space, people in the, in the academia space, people in private sector that are coming to give us their, their thoughts and their snippets and their experiences regarding life, regarding good governance, inclusive diversity, and the wholesomeness of this um, humanitarian sector. Now, today I'm going to introduce you guys to a phenomenal person, a personal friend, that is Abi Weyime, who is the founder and the CEO of the Grace Cup. She's a thought leader when it comes to menstrual hygiene with a particular interest on reusable products. Why is it important for me to do this in March of 2021? This is because the International Women's Day this year was marked the whole month of March. Traditionally, it's marked on the 8th of March, but this year we decided to celebrate it the whole month, being a global month of celebrating the social, economic, and cultural, including political achievements of women. The International Women's Day, or month now, also marks a call to action for accelerating the gender parity. Significant activity is witnessed worldwide, globally, everybody did this to acknowledge the rights of women, celebrate their achievements, and rally for women's equality. Today, Abby will discuss with us on reproductive health rights for women and girls, as well as the menstrual health management. The campaign for the year as well was on Choose to Challenge. A challenged world is an alert world. And therefore, we ask Abby, what do you choose to challenge? Abby, welcome so much to the podcast. Hello. <laughs> Let me position myself. Hi. Hello, 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 everyone. Karibu uh, sana, okay. karibu sana. Um, I'm not sure I, if I can see you well. Can you see, can you see everybody? Can you see me? Yeah. Okay. You disappeared. Okay, what about now? Yeah, I see you, I hear you, yes. Okay, um, okay, Abby, um, let me just make sure that actually, let's see if anybody can see Abby. Let me ask the viewers, can anyone see Abby before you, you introduce me? yourself? Yes. Do you want to probably switch on and your camera and back off? Okay. You know, um, off and on? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mm-hmm. Now? Uh, I still you can't see you. So you can only hear me, but you can't see me? Yes, yes. I can. Oh, now I can finally see you. Abby, perfect. Welcome finally. to the podcast. <laughs> I know we're praying, uh, we're praying for this podcast to work. So, Abby, I know I've introduced you, but please introduce yourself to the audience. Tell people who you are in your own words. Okay, I'll keep it short and sweet. Um, my name is Ebi Weyime. I am the founder of the Grace Cup. The Grace Cup is Kenya's premier um, menstrual uh, period product company. Um, but apart from that, I'm very passionate about sexual and reproductive health and health rights. Hello? Oh, we can hear, I can see you. You disappeared. Did I disappear or yes. you disappeared? 
No, no, no. Um, I'm I'm still here. Our, we're saying that our guests coming into the podcast today want to know more about you. So yes. who is Abby? Is she a firstborn? Is she a lastborn? Which part of Kenya was she born? What were uh -huh. her, the things that inspired her to get to where she is today, founding something that is very phenomenal in this country? Um, I am the second born of seven children. I grew up born and raised in Nairobi, but I schooled in Western, in Nairobi. Um, I finished off at Desta, Desta University. And then uh, immediately after graduation, I moved to Cape Town, to South Africa, to pursue yeah. my acting modeling that I did for six years. And then after that, I came back home now to work on my business, which is the Grace Cafe. Okay. I see you're rushing through it, but I'm still going to try and help my viewers understand and know who you are. Let's say, okay. um, what, what exactly happened in the course of your personal life that led you towards menstrual hygiene products? Um, I was using, I used to be that girl that's very heavy, you know, like using a pad and a tampon at the same time. Right. So being a model, you know, you're, you're a former model, so you understand. Like you're, yeah. you're asked for a random photo shoot in a bikini. You're on your period. You cannot afford to to be wearing pads and having banging things, and you know. Um, right. So I literally I googled like what what other alternative is there for menstruation, and what right. came up was the menstrual cup. And lucky for me, there was a lady. There was a lady in Cape Town who was actually making um, who was actually making cups herself. So I got mm -hmm. my cup. I started using it. I loved it so much. I kept talking about it every time. And then I thought, well, why not turn it into a business? You know, why not make wow. it a business? <laughs> right. Yeah, but then I mean, over the years, it has grown yes. into something. It's growing into something very big. But sometimes mm -hmm. I must say. A bit scary even for me. I guess my business or um, things that I do come from a personal need. So for example, um, we started with the cup, but now we also have cloth pads as well. So we do have yeah. that, um, but that came from other people saying, you know, I don't want to insert things in my vagina. Do you have any other options? So I ended up having the pads. Um, and now um, last year I, I had an unplanned pregnancy, so I terminated it. And then I spoke about it. And then it just opened my eyes into just how difficult it is for women to get a safe abortion in this country. Right. You know? Um, when it comes to a pregnancy, if a woman is not ready or just not ready, you know, so just finally opening this conversation up and then having more and more women coming in and saying, oh, my God, I also had an abortion. I've never told anyone because I never knew who to talk to, you know, even today I was talking to another woman who was saying she has a two year old boy. She's very happy mm -hmm. about the son. But then she was like, if she knew about the options then. She could have terminated her own because was like I didn't terminate because I didn't know where to go, who to talk to. Right. You know? Right. So just right. having um just women having autonomy on their own bodies, basically. So that is that is very interesting that the discourse of you finding out about this whole uh lack of information, disinformation came from you um getting a need. In fact, you say it was a personal need. It emerged from your personal need to use a product. Yes. And mm -hmm. then 
after a personal experience, it opened you up to this whole world of reproductive health, knowing uh, your, your options and your choices and all that. It is very interesting, but I don't want to summarize it so much. And I do know that on your channel, you discuss about it and you take people through the journey. I have seen you be vulnerable and expose uh, some of the personal experiences that you've gone through. But I want us to use this platform probably today because many people will view this video even um, many months and many years from now. How, uh, and I want to ask maybe a policy question that maybe policymakers can also look at this and say, maybe there's something lacking in our academic system, especially in Kenya, or maybe there's something that we need to know to, to, uh, to expose better to the larger population, especially teenagers, uh, people in families, what is what do you think was lacking um, that led to the disinformation and the and the and the exposure that other people are willing to tell you confidentially that could have been something that is discussed maybe in the in the academic institutions in our curriculum? What do you where do you where do you see the gap being there? Because now I know that you are becoming um, slowly by slowly a national and an international advocate on sexual reproductive rights and mm -hmm. you're being a pro-choice advocate, but it is it has come from a gap that existed in society. Ebi, tell me what, what, what do you think uh, the gap started from? Um, I think the root cause of everything is just the lack of knowledge, lack of information that mm -hmm. uh, we deny our youth, we deny our teenagers, because sex is happening, whether you like it or not. So this gospel of saying sex is bad and wait till marriage, it's outdated. And I feel like now with technology and everything, kids are much more informed at a very early age. So we should just learn to tell them the truth. And telling them the truth now involves sex education. We need comprehensive sexual education. Because you see in Kenya right now, it's like um, teenagers and the youth are, they're set up to fail basically. Because what, what's happening right now in the country is no to sex education, no to contraceptives, and no to abortions. So what are you telling this young woman? How does she protect her? You cannot tell her, do not have sex. You see, that is, mm. that's a very outdated way of dealing with this issue. What you need to tell right. her, tell her the truth. Tell her sex is good. Sex is very nice. But right. it needs to be done in a safe way. You cannot just right. have sex for the sake of it. Sex has to, has to be done in a safe way. So we need to give the woman the right tools so that she can know how to protect herself, not just from, um, not just from um, pregnancy, but also right. from uh, um, STDs and STIs, you know, and HIV. Mm -hmm. That is what we need right now. So if sex education has been um, done correctly, then the next step now should be on contraceptives. Now the, uh, the woman understands her body, she understands mm -hmm. what she needs to do to prevent diseases and to prevent a pregnancy. Now give her the right tool. And the right tool is the right contraceptive. Teach her about the different contraceptive methods that are there. I remember about... Um, a year or two, um, two years back, when um, Nairobi women, Esther Pasari said she put her teenager on on, um, on the pill or or an injection mm -hmm. or something, and there was yes. such an uproar. And they're like, "You're encouraging her to have sex and blah blah blah." And she's like, "No, I know my daughter. I know she's having sex. How best can I prevent her from becoming a teenage mother?" You see. Mm. So the problem with Africans is we keep thinking that if you if you tell a woman if you give um, a young girl a contraceptive, it means that you're encouraging sex. Well, hello, mm. hello, 
sex will always be there whether or not you give her the tool whether or not mm -hmm. you give her the right contraceptive so we need to take our heads out of the sand and just face the reality and the reality is our young ones need direction telling them to wait for marriage the fallacy it will never happen wow i mean that's you're very right in that so do you think then um at what point in our curriculum because we start learning about you know being an adolescent and the body changes in our system we start learning about that in primary school so at what point is it primary school is it high school at what point should we start having this comprehensive sex education to the larger uh, kenyan population i always feel like the entryway to this conversation is menstruation when you start talking to a woman about menstruation, and that should start as early as nine years old. I feel like parents wait for the girl to start her period. That's when you want to talk to her. You should prepare her so that when the period arrives, she already knows what's happening. So as early as nine years old, um, the gateway to that conversation will be menstruation, telling her about um, what is what is a period, what does it mean for my body? Um, if I have a period, what does it mean when it comes to pregnancy and things like that? Then you can always um, give more and more information the older she gets. But when she gets to around age 13, then we need to start having very, very deep conversations when it comes to um, pregnancy and STIs and all that. Right, right. Um, this is, I mean, this is interesting. When you're talking about this um, comprehensive sex education and starting from that age of eight, or maybe let's say nine years old to 13 years old, have you uh, looked at maybe the emotional, social and cultural issues that have probably deterred us from not having comprehensive sex education in our system? And if, if so, what do you think are some of those cultural issues that deter us from engaging meaningfully with the young people who are coming of age? Um, I think one of the one of the biggest hurdles that we have, there are actually two. It's culture and religion. I know there are others, but those two are the biggest ones, especially when it comes to African society. You know, the way we were raised, the way we were set up. I mean, even just telling your dad that I love you, dad, is is already a big thing. I could not even think of saying something like that. So now imagine your dad sitting you down and telling you, talking to you about sex. You know, um, many women that I talk to, they say no one ever, the mom, the dad, no one talked to them about menstruation. So if a parent cannot talk to a girl about menstruation, how is she gonna, how is she gonna talk to a daughter about sex? You see, that right. will never happen. And then this conversation should not just be for females, it should also be for males. Uh, but our boys also need this talk. They also need um, to be told about this because it takes two to tango, you know? For mm. the baby to be born, a boy has to be involved. So this boy should also be included in this conversation. I was actually going to go to that and it's very interesting that you've brought that up. My question to you was going to be, whose responsibility is it when it comes to family planning and i and I, I just want you to take some time to like when you're saying a boy shouldn't should be involved i agree with that but let's take time to actually understand that what is the role of family planning um and who is supposed to be responsible for that is it only the girl child because there's a common misconception about it especially here in kenya Amy, please mm -hmm. take us through the responsibility of family planning 
among the, 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 the teenagers that are sexually active, among the young couples that are getting into marriage, among the older people, because these problems are not only exclusive to the young adolescents and the teenagers that are getting pregnant. You know, who, who is the responsible person for that and how should that be handled? Um, before I used to really say responsibilities for both, for the man and the woman, because if you look at it um, uh, logically, a, a woman can only be pregnant once a year, you know, for nine months, this is once a year. A man can get 365 women pregnant in right. a year. Every right. day he can get a woman pregnant. So if you think about it, a man is really the one who's supposed to be responsible. But unfortunately, the way the system is set up, it's the woman mm -hmm. that carries the burden. The burden meaning the unwanted pregnancy. That's the job. Right. That's it. The man will not, he'll just continue with on his life. The woman is the one that will be left pregnant. So looking, looking at that in that way, then it becomes the woman's burden when it comes to contraceptives because a man does not care you know he gets you pregnant he moves on but you're the one left to the pregnancy and it's it's for you to deal with it so the bigger responsibility now lies with the woman so the woman should know what to do for her to prevent not just a pregnancy but also um diseases right right i mean i like that you're insisting on being uh, clear that when we're talking about unwanted pregnancies i mean or rather uh family planning and all these control measures for you know having the choice to choose whether you want to have a baby right now whether you don't want to have a baby that it is not only about pregnancy but also diseases there has to be safety on yes. diseases now mm -hmm. Abby, i wonder whether uh you on your own and using the platform because you already have a large following on youtube if you have thought about joining um maybe policy groups or activist groups that directly engage with the legislators to give them recommendations on how to deal to deal with cases like the upsurge in teenage pregnancies in Kenya. Because right now we were doubting the numbers of the the, the numbers of the, the the I call them children, but they're teenagers who are pregnant until the government uh, spokespeople in the county started telling us that yes. I am the gender minister in this county, and I can confirm to you that these numbers are not exaggerated, that we indeed have in one county over 5,000 teenagers between the age of 13 and 19 that are pregnant, especially after Corona happened and the lockdown and the, clo the, the closure of schools. Um, what have you done? Like, have you spoken on this on your platform? If you have spoken on it, what are some of the recommendations that you have put forward so that uh, the legislators cannot say that nobody said anything, everybody went to Twitter and complained, and nobody gave us something substantive as recommendations? What have you done, Abby, and how do you feel about it? Um, I guess on my part, I'm playing my small role in my small social media, with my small social media following. Um, but uh, speaking the truth, I haven't talked to any any change maker, any policy maker. I haven't had a conversation with them. However, I have partnered with a few. Um, I have partnered with several um, 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 NGOs or other private organizations that really champion for women's uh, bodies and women's health and women's rights. Right. So, for example, um, I partnered with uh, Marie Stopes in just mm -hmm. talking to women about especially contraceptives. I partnered with this is called Auntie Jane. I'm actually wearing the T-shirt. It says, um, mm -hmm. Muliwangu Chakuolangu, 
which means my body, my choice, sorry, which is also part of that, uh, having that same conversation because they have a platform where um, you can talk and you can get advice and um, be directed to places to go when it comes to safe abortions. And when I talk about abortions, I really need, must emphasize not just abortions, but safe abortions, you know? Um, and also there's another organization called Safe to Choose, which also does a similar job to Auntie Jane. So there, um, so those are the three partners that I've been working with. So they're not governmental, yeah. the private um, uh, institutions, but are doing a, a pretty good job by themselves. Okay. Um, so now we can we can maybe take a few minutes to get into the termination of pregnancy. And you've mentioned it severally on the abortion and the choice to have an abortion or procure an abortion. And I like that, again, you're educating people or enlightening people that normally don't know about this, which is safe abortion. Um, not maybe on your, on your personal level, but what do you think are the factors that um, have pushed people to have to procure an abortion and in doing so have hidden away from society and unfortunately have procured unsafe abortions that have had um, unintended consequences or results. Abi, um, just like help us up, you know, this is a new platform and a new audience, help open us up to that uh, knowledge and realization that maybe there's a gap that there's a gap, whether it is in information or knowledge, maybe there's a stigma associated with it due to cultural, cultural and religious reasons, and um, demystify, demystify that whole narrative about procuring an abortion. Yeah, well, there's, <clears throat> there's definitely a huge gap. And um, in the course of having this conversation with actual women on the ground, especially anti-choice or anti-abortions, um, people don't really understand that you don't, even with a contraceptive, you can still get pregnant. Women don't understand that. There is no contraceptive in this world that is 100% safe. When I got pregnant, I was on the pill. That's why it took me five weeks for me to realize that I was pregnant because I was like, but I'm on the pill. I'm fine. You know, I really did not. Pregnancy was really not on my mind. So when it comes to um, and then I was just reading the other day, they were saying for you for uh, in a woman's lifetime, for you to have two children, you need to avoid pregnancy at least 420 times in your lifetime. 420. So as much as you're using contraceptives, you're counting your days, you're doing all of that, some of the, some of these women will slip through the cracks, you know, me being one of them. I did everything to protect myself and still ended up pregnant. So what happens to a woman like me who's pregnant, but I'm not ready to be a mother? What happens is, especially in Kenya, let me just speak specifically for Kenya, that they, they force you, they force you into motherhood. They say, well, you had sex, so you got pregnant, so you have to give birth. So if you look at it in that way, what they're simply telling you is uh, um, uh, motherhood is your punishment for having sex. That is all they're saying. The punishment. Mm -hmm. Because I've already told you I'm not ready. I do not want to have a child. But because I had sex, now you're telling me, well, you have to keep that pregnancy because you had sex. So why are you forcing me to be a mother when I'm not ready? So you see, mm. we need this type, we need this kind of education. Yes, the people who get pregnant because they were not careful, they did not use anything. That, that happens as well. But what about women that are raped? You know, what about cases of incest? 
What about um, women that just do not have the knowledge when it comes to contraceptives? Because as we go back to our conversation, we said that there is lack of comprehensive sex education. The only sex right. education that most of our boys and girls are learning is from porn. Pornography. Mm. That's that's where mm. and and also when you when you tell people your kids need sex education, all they think of you want to teach them sex styles. They don't mm. even understand what sex education is. They think sex right. education is what you see on the websites on pornography. That is not sex education. But unfortunately, that is all our children know. Mm. And also that is why there's a lot of cases of rape because what people, what our young ones see is a woman being forced being forced into having a sexual intercourse but they don't understand those are actors that is not how right. it works in real life right know? they don't see right. they don't see that they don't understand that so the more we keep blocking sex education the more we're going to have a rise in a spike in um, unsafe abortions and a rise in unplanned pregnancies right and this is actually quite sad to hear because um i don't know what happens when when people hear that uh, sex education needs to start as early as nine to 13 years old. And I, mm -hmm. I, I agree on the, on the uh, point of sex education, comprehensive sex education happening at that young age. Now for pornography and access to, you know, all this, I would call it garbage on the internet because kids can't understand what's happening in that world. Um, yeah. it, it's very confusing for a child. Therefore it is only safer to provide information, good information, and allow the child to be able to make the right decision on some of the activities that they can embark on that have a long-term effect. One of the things that really uh, capture me in my heart when I, when, I, when I look at unintended pregnancies, especially for teenagers, is just the simple fact that their bodies are not ready. And yeah. Abby, the population or the you know the majority of the people would love to think that a teenager who is 13 14 or 15 who has gotten pregnant has been raped the reality as we have seen on what has been reported in the media is that some children some some teenagers are actually being impregnated either by their friends so you know i don't want to call it consent but their fellow age mates and the worst case is a mother who had two daughters who had been impregnated by his old, her oldest son. So this is a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old kid. Two of them have been impregnated by their brother, who is 17. So you can imagine the lack of education that happened probably in school. Of course, in, at home is the first place of education. And that's what I think parents also need to come to a realization, that in as much as you take your children to school, you do still have the responsibility of parenting your kids and informing them about themselves. Now, let's consider the 13-year-old who, whose body has not formed enough. The body is not ready to become a mother. So what do you do at that point in time? And what have parents done in such cases? You see, mm. that is the dilemma. That is the moral dilemma that I, I feel like religious institutions have had. And it's a question that they, can, they can't still um, adequately answer. I don't know if you want to say something on that before now we move to maybe the, the other, you know, the other ways of, um, let's say permanently or vice versa for both male and female uh, in dealing with um, with unwanted pregnancies. Sorry, so you want me to talk to you, um, um, to talk a bit on what exactly, which part? 
So, no, no, no. I thought you wanted to maybe uh, assist in winding up on that, that part for maybe teenage pregnancies and adolescent pregnancies and unintended yeah. pregnancies. Yes. And then we move yeah. on to maybe other methods of contraceptives that would be ideal. Because I know you've mentioned a bit about the pills. This is like in general. We've mentioned about the pill. We've also talked about you could still be on the pill. In fact, I remember, um, I think there was something here that I had put on the screen that one can still get pregnant while on contraceptive and then yeah. what are the remedies what are the kind of remedies that maybe um somebody watching this can say okay there's something i learned there that i could not maybe get that information from the conventional um learning institutions so what what i would give sort of a picture for, for for this segment yeah what I, would, right. what I would say is um, one that people really need to understand is no contraceptive in the world is 100% effective. Myself, right. I have a BTL, meaning that I tied my tubes, meaning that biologically it should be it should be impossible for me to get pregnant. But even with that, there is still a one in a thousand um, chance for me to still get pregnant. Even after tying my tubes, the women who've tied their tubes and they still ended up pregnant. Like I said, it will take you 420 misses for you to mm. have two kids, you know. So we should not really be quick to judge a woman that has chosen to terminate. The same right. way that, um, I'm assuming I'm talking to a woman right now, the same way that this woman has chosen to keep the child is the same way that I have the freedom not to keep this child. You see, mm -hmm. so you have your reason for getting pregnant and continuing on with the journey. And I have my reasons for stopping this journey because I know I'm not ready for whatever reason. And most people yeah. um, usually talk about, why don't you take the child for adoption? And my question is usually, my question, my first question is usually, where? Tell me exactly this place that I can give birth and take my child to. Hakuna. Right. There is mm -hmm. no place. So people right. should stop lying to people that just yeah. give birth and you just take it to adoption. Who is adopting? Who? I usually ask them, is your local church adopting children so that right. I can give birth and bring my child to you? What is your church right. doing? Because as much as yeah. they're saying no to abortions, what are they doing um, when, right. this child, when this woman has told you, I cannot, I cannot keep this child, right? You forced mm -hmm. her to give birth. Now she has the child. Will you take this child? You see, right. what most people don't, um, what I've come to realize is the problem, with, especially most Kenyans, is they are not anti-choice. They are pro, um, they are pro-birth, meaning they want to see the child alive, but they don't mm -hmm. care about their well-being. Why will she eat? Why will she sleep? How will the mother take care of her? You know, and also about the mother. The, the, the woman herself, is she okay mentally? Is she okay physically? Is she okay emotionally to raise another human being? This is another responsibility that you're going to have for the next eight years. Are you ready for this kind of responsibility? Especially when you're talking to a college girl, you know? And right now, actually, you'll be surprised, Diana, that most abortions are not even with the young girls. Most abortions are happening within marriages. People that are married, legally married, they're happy and everything, say they have one or two maybe one um, uh, one or two children, then right. they realize, oh my God, we're pregnant. We cannot afford another child. And they're talking right. because they're practical. They already have two right. kids. They know a third one is impossible because you're already struggling right. to how are you going to have a third one, you know? Right. So when people talk about abortions, they always think about young, promiscuous women. But you'll be surprised. It's people in marriages that are having yeah. these abortions. Yeah.
Right. And then I finally, what we really, this one more thing, what I really, really need to emphasize is what we need right now in Kenya is safe, affordable, and accessible abortions. That is what we need. Just the other day on Twitter, someone was saying they lost a friend. Actually, I've seen two tweets already some of different men saying they've lost friends who are trying to procure their own abortion. They're trying to do their own thing. I don't know who told the first girl that if you take um, several ma malaria pills that it will induce an abortion. That's what she did. She ended up overdosing. She lost, she lost her life. The other right. one, the people who actually use um, wire hangers. I don't know where this method Whoa. came from, but it's a very old method that people still use because the thing is right. you need if they want to to perforate it so that it, it can induce a miscarriage basically uh, and, and you see at, at kenyatta national hospital wing 1b it's specifically for post-abortion care that that side is always full that should tell mm -hmm. you diana that this is a problem for kenyatta right. hospital to have a section a word for post-abortion care it means right. that's why they are having right. it so why are we not having this conversation is the question mm -hmm. Are we not mm -hmm. talking about well the problem is there? I mean, it's it's very interesting, and I like the fact that you're asking the right questions. And maybe this 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 episode was not more more or less to provide answers to people, but to make people ask the right questions to the system. You know, I like to take the responsibility as a as a taxpaying Kenyan to say that my 30% taxes goes to government. What are the public services that I must access as an individual in Kenya? being a woman, being a youth, what are the services that I need to access? And that's why I have the platform to be able to ask these questions. And I'm glad that you're asking many, many critical questions. You know, I look at the, the state of um, many, many Kenyans. Kenyans on Twitter are very active. They're very vocal, but sometimes they fail to, to have a call to action, like an action right. to say that this is what I demand, or this is what I recommend, or this is what I think. It's just uh, name shaming, uh, giving half-backed opinions on matters that they don't fully understand. Just like recently, people are asking questions about the, the COVID-19 vaccine. And I've seen so many fallacies being put forward, Abby. But no one is asking that when you take the aspirin pill and you read the, the, um, the side effects of aspirin in that bottle, it includes things like uh, you could die, this could lead to death having you taking this pill could you know get you into a coma or something mm. like paralysis and stuff like that but mm. you want to over obsess about something that is like uh new information and every single day and i think actually there was a group of young ladies that had come up with um with a memorial or like a list of people that had lost their lives due to trying to procure safe, you know, to procure abortion services and died in the course of, of getting it because they went, they ended up in quack doctors. Like we want to easily forget them because we think that they're not worthy of being remembered. Yet, yeah. like you have rightly said, that there are many women that have procured these services and they're not willing to speak about it. And I just think that the younger generation and the future generation must do better than the older generation, that we yeah. must not be back by cultural and religious beliefs that may be inhibiting us from accessing our human rights, our, hum mm. our basic human rights, the autonomy to make choice, the autonomy of owning your body as a woman. And I think these are the questions that I think this, this podcast is tending to seek. Um, I don't know if you have anything else to add. All I can see is that this episode is actually opening me up to more uh, discussions that I need to have probably with medical practitioners, with policymakers, with other people that we need to say, 
uh, guys, it's enough of pretending, enough of looking the other way, enough of complaining about the rise in teenage pregnancies and not adequately addressing the reproductive health rights in Kenya and the provisions thereabouts. What do you think? You talked about you talked about doctors and it just reminded me of something. Usually when you talk about abortions, the first question is it's illegal. It's illegal. But people don't understand um, the constitution. The constitution talks about talks about abortions. And it says um abortions are are, are um abortions are not permitted. So they never use the word illegal. They say not permitted. So they are permitted under certain parameters, under certain circumstances. So, for example, they talk about if the health of the mother is in danger. When people talk about health, all you think about is the physical health. What people don't also consider is, are they okay mentally? Are they okay emotionally? If this woman is not okay mentally, she cannot carry a pregnancy to term. If this woman is not okay emotionally, she cannot carry a pregnancy to term. So, yes. You do qualify for an abortion in that case. I qualified for it because I was not okay mentally. I was not okay um, emotionally. I knew for sure I cannot carry. I cannot carry um, on with this pregnancy. So what people don't understand is the law actually provides for safe abortions, but people don't really understand. Even doctors, even right. doctors don't understand. You know mm -hmm. what the law says when it comes to abortions, and also. Um, we're very much clouded with our cultural and religious beliefs that um, that even before understanding what exactly the circumstances behind this woman wanting an abortion, we're already judging. We're already saying, this and that. You see, you don't really consider, but this is not your body. That's what um, people don't really think about. If Abby has an abortion, how has it affected you? How has it affected your life personally? You know, mm. has it raised the taxes? Has it officially right. because Ebi has has had has had an abortion? This is literally right. my problem. It is literally my body. So the moment you start governing my body, the moment you start talking about Ebi's body, that's what the problem is. If you do not want to have an abortion, well and good. Good for you. Right. Do not have it. No one is forcing you. But if Abby or Jane or Ngina or Margaret wants to have an abortion, let her do it. You know, Muliwake Chaguolake. Wow, you are a very passionate advocate on the uh, autonomy of the woman. Yeah, <laughs> because we need to free ourselves. We really, it's time. Right. When I tied my, can you believe, even when I tied my own tubes, it's, it caused the debate. Then like you're 33 years old, you don't have a child. Why on earth would you want to tie your tubes? And I'm like, eh? it's my body. Why are you so right. concerned that Abby will right. never have a child? Why are you so concerned about it? You know? Right, right. I mean, it's 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 interesting um, the discourse that this has taken you and that it has brought you to becoming like an advocate on yeah. the autonomy of the of the female body. And I just remember when we were in the reproductive health network. Um, I need to get some water. <laughs> when we were in the reproductive health network conference, this is in December of last year, and there was a hashtag trending, which is mind my own mind your own uterus. Yes. And I think that. Um, I, to be honest, Ebi, that hashtag wasn't given enough justice. And that's why I think that advocates like you um, could probably keep voicing your opinion on that matter. 
just uh, letting people know that mind your own uterus. That freedom that women need to be given to know how to, how to care for their bodies right from the time that they are able to. In fact, I like the fact that you said that the entry point of proper sex education should start at entry way to sex education should happen at the point of menstruation. So that is the point when the woman needs to understand what is happening to me physiologically? What is happening to me physically? What are the changes anticipated in my body? At what point do I, I can I make a decision to carry a life and bring the life forth? Am I mentally prepared for this decision? And so many things. I think there's lack of that in-depth understanding on it. And so much attention in our academic system is put on other matters that don't really uh, maybe pan out in life to be the most key focus points of our lives. Not to disregard them in any way, but to just say that sometimes adequate effort, and I've also seen this in the mental health space, where we are saying that mental health was not treated as a health requirement. We're being told about biology, vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin D, mm. all this people forget about how about sobriety of your mind? How about yeah. um, knowing how to handle stress? How about mm -hmm. other things that are not uh, included in the curriculum uh, that we have right now? But, Abby, thank you very much. I want to give you some time to talk about the Grace Cup. L let's talk about the Grace Cup, and then we will take these conversations back to our Instagram and Twitter handles, make trending hashtags to just educate and inform the general public, and especially to the ladies who bear the burden of carrying unintended pregnancies. Talk about the Grace Cup. You can, you can even remove it and start showing us. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the thing. I, it's on the other side. But, uh, no worries, I'll just talk about it. Um, no problem. Uh, yes. For people that need more information, definitely you can follow us on it's the Grace Cup, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere is the Grace Cup. Um, that's my bad. I should have had my products here. Um, but um, uh, so it's just it's a reusable um, cup. It's a cup that is just folded and it's inserted inside the woman's vagina. And then as opposed to a tampon or a pad that is absorbing the period, the cup is simply collecting it. So it's reusable for 10 years. And the good thing about it is it's, um, I keep saying the three, the top three advantages of the cup is um, it's, it's good for the pocket in terms of it's a one-time buy. You only buy it, you're good for the next 10 years. So good for your pocket, good for your health in terms of there's no chemicals or anything in it um, that will be toxic to your body. And it's also good for the environment, you know, you're not throwing anything away. Do you know, Diana, that it takes about 500 years um, for, for pads to decompose? Because, you know, it's wow. all plastic. And even when you're saying it's going away, where is it going? You know, the moment you use your pad, you throw it in the bin. Where does it go? That's the question to ask yourself. In Endanga, it is somewhere in our landfill. So I can imagine the very first pad that I used at around age 13, 14 years is, is, is lying somewhere in this country. Mm -hmm. It's lying somewhere. Right. And you know, especially in Kenya, we have a very huge problem when it comes to um, when it comes to garbage, garbage collection and where we dump our things. We don't really have you know, good places or specific places for that. So good for your pocket, good for your health, good for the environment. And apart from that, also have the cloth pads. So the cloth pads, these are washable pads. So for those who are a bit like, hmm, maybe don't want to insert anything, there's the pad. So the pad is basically what our parents used to use. It's just that um, our, our, our parents or our, our grandmas used to just take random pieces of cloth and make a pad out of it. But now what we're doing is we're doing the same thing, but it's a more hygienic. It's more hygienic. It's more well-made. 
it comes in different right. colors and designs and again it's a hundred percent natural you know you just right. wash it you use it you're the one washing it so you know um the level of hygiene uh, which makes which means that your um, uh, chances of you getting infections are significantly low Right. I mean, yes, Abby. Um, I was actually in the office earlier today speaking with my colleagues about the West collection, and we were looking at one of these eco-friendly um, garbage company, and they say that they recycle up to 95% of the trash that they collect. Now, having said that, the 5% we discovered later was attributed to sanitary towels and diapers for the babies. And I was like, what? So you mean to say that all the trash that we collect, especially from shopping malls, from big residential developments, all of it can yes, actually yes. be recycled, except 5%, which is, you know, the, initially the company had said 98%, but I think they revised that number to 95%. And then that mm -hmm. means that that our, you know, our sanitary towels and the diapers for the children, yeah. like you're telling me now, they take over 500 years to stay in the universe for recycling. I mean, we Plastic. should be conscious about the environment. Plastic, you know, Plastic. like I go to, I visit um, so many schools in the villages where they use the pit latrine, and you know how they how they work with the toilets is the moment it's full, you just you close it and then you dig another hole, and especially in the mixed school is where you can see the disparities. You um, right. sometimes even the boys are more than the girls, but the girls' toilet right. will fill up even in six months. It's already full. Why? It's not that they're pooping and peeing more than the boys. It's the period product, the sanitary product that they're sorry, that they're throwing in there that fill it up so fast. And the moment that happens, they have to close it and dig another hole. And I'm like, in the next 50 years, we'll have no more land for right. our children. Right. Because kill that place about you know? I know. And it's it's such a huge shame. It's such a huge shame for that. So thank you very much, Abby. You came to the to the podcast. You came and shared your story, your journey, your information. I'm very, very grateful for that. I hope we can reach out to you again to speak on many other matters that may arise. And oh. then I want to give you a challenge because I think here this is an opportunity for both of us to work together. That when we have recommendations to make, especially to the legislators or the change makers, then we will reach, we will reach towards each other find other similar groups of people or people who have platforms that have similar views. And then we will make our submissions to the policymakers because change has to happen unless something is legislated, enforcement will be very difficult. Thank you so much, Heavy. Have a blessed evening. Asante Sana for coming to the podcast. You too. You too. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.